Hello, I'm Dave, and welcome to the Stand Up Tragedy Podcast. This is the first of three recordings from our Tragic History live event that took place at the Hackney Attic on Friday the 16th. Stand Up Tragedy are taking the tragedy up to the Edinburgh Festival again this year as part of the Free Fringe, but we need your help. We've launched an Indiegogo crowdfunding campaign that you can find over at bit.ly forward slash tragic fringe. We've got some amazing perks that you can get in exchange for funding the tragedy, and no donation is too small to be valuable to us. Another way to support us is by spreading the word of what we're doing to your social networks and encouraging your friends to get involved. You can also support our Edinburgh journey by coming to see our London shows. The next one is on Thursday the 12th of June at the Dog Star in Brixton, where our theme will be Greek tragedy, and our lineup includes a set from the comedian Andy Zoltzman. You can buy tickets in advance for £5 via our Indiegogo campaign. So, come cry with me. Come cry Come cry away. So, here's Act One of Tragic History. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Stand Up Tragedy. My name's Dave, and I'm your host. Uh, What we do here at Stand Up Tragedy is we stand up and we do tragedy. It's as as simple as it sounds. Uh, And tonight's theme is tragic history. Now. It's, it's going to be a roller coaster of a night, which is hopefully something that you'll all enjoy. I like, I like a good roller coaster. So you should expect comedy, you should expect uh, sad things as well, though. So you should expect some laughs. And what we say is we like you to uh, cry until you laugh and laugh until you cry. So be aware of that. We're looking at the tragedies of history. So uh, I should think there's going to be some dark stuff as well as some light stuff, considering, you know, history and everything. Uh, so <laughs> that's what's going to happen tonight. Uh, what we are is we're a, a live show, as you can see. We're also a podcast, so we record all of this so that uh, people who aren't here can hear it. So if you enjoy what you see tonight, uh, tell your friends to listen to the podcast. If you don't enjoy what you see tonight, don't tell your friends to listen to the podcast. It's, it's pretty simple, that, as well. Um, so that's uh, what we're going to be doing. Um, we've got some fanzines over at the back table, uh, which we've been having all of our shows this year have had a fanzine accompanying them. Uh, not, this, not this month, we're taking a month off, but have a look through the back catalogue and consider uh, buying some of those. They're very cheap. What are they going for? I can't remember. Professional we are. I'm assuming you can all hear that uh, without amplification, but you can go over and have a look if you don't, if you didn't. Um, so that's that's something you can you can buy. We also will be reco- we're, we'll be filming it all, um, putting it up on YouTube. So that's also something to check out. Um, but we also at Stand Up Tragedy we like people to share their tragedies. So in the break. Uh, if you go up to the table where the fanzines are, we've got a kind of exercise book, a tragic history book. So if you would like to write some tragic histories into that, that would be really nice. Uh, but don't write anything that you don't want us to share with the world. We will probably put it on social media. You don't have to put your name on it, though, so you can be anonymous. So it's all, all good, all good, like history. Uh, so <laughs> uh, Mark Twain said that, that humour is tragedy plus time. Uh, so hopefully some stuff... Is going to be funny tonight. 
Uh, we can laugh at things that happened ages ago, I guess, because they're not as serious as what's happening now. Spoiler, they are. Uh, just they're not happening to us, uh, which I guess makes them funny. Uh, there we go. Uh, so, um, and also, when I was sort of thinking about what, what, what sort of things are going to come up through this history theme, I sort of feel like uh, history is kind of always about repeating the inevitable sort of tragedies. Uh, kind of that, that, and that sort of fits very well with the classical theme of tragedy of somebody who has uh, a flaw that, that, that will overcome them regardless of, of what they do to try and stop it. So maybe history's like that. Or maybe it's not. Maybe we can change things. I don't know. Let's hope, let's hope so. Um, I heard a politician the other day on, the, uh, on, on Question Time uh, say, uh, that's a terrible tragedy it doesn't bear thinking about, about something that I'm not going to bring up because it would, would, would put a downer already on the night. But when I heard them say that, I thought, no, that's not how I look at tragedy. I think that it's never uh, not worth thinking about tragedy because otherwise how are we going to learn from tragedy so hopefully that's one of the things we're going to do tonight we're going to learn some stuff um now i'm going to crowbar this in i don't know if this is to do with history or not but i'm going to try and make it about history we'll see so my girlfriend told me the other day this story about uh, a, a person that she knows of, of, of an acquaintance of hers who uh was was sitting at their table hammering a piece of like hammering some stuff you know doing some diy i don't really understand that stuff so i can't set it up that well hammering some wood that's that's as far as I go. Um, and he's hammering that wood, and he's sort of like, he's, you know, it's just a normal day, he's doing his DIY. His cat jumps up on the table, and he's just hammering the wood, and he hits the cat in the middle of the head, and the cat dies. Now, it broke my fucking heart, so I hope it broke your heart. But I guess what, what made me so sad about that idea is that, you know, you're just like, minding your own business, and then you've killed the family cat, and you've got to explain that to the children. Um, and that is kind of one of the, that's the saddest bits about history for me. It's the fact that we, we you know, we're all, walk, we're all kind of hammering, right? We're all hammering. That's what we're doing. We're just living our lives hammering. And then one day you accidentally uh, kill a cat, you know? Uh, so drawing that out across, you know, societies and stuff, that's my, my view of war, really, in a way. Uh, there we go. Um, Hopefully tonight's going to be about her story as well as his story, although I have to say I have failed uh, for once to get a, a majority of women on the stage. Not like, like we, sometimes we have more women than men, so that's good. Uh, but tonight I haven't, so no cookies for me. Not that I fucking want any cookies. Uh, so, uh, but, ho but hopefully we're going to hear some female stories as well, because, I mean, history has been, been written by people like me, and, I, and I, I don't want that to happen anymore. So I'm on stage talking. Uh, <laughs> Don't know why. Anyway, so at the end of the night as well, uh, there's going to be uh, a sing-along. That's how I like to end uh, Standard Tragedy with a kind of catharsis. Um, but today, today's sing-along is going to be a kazoo-along. Uh, did anybody bring any kazoos today? It's going to be a very uh, lonely kazoo-along. I've got a kazoo. You can hum. I've got some other kazoos that I can throw out to a few of you. Lucky, lucky few. Um... <laughs> So that's what I'm going to try and do at the end. It sounds rubbish. It hopefully will be really good. Um, that's, that's like my life, really. It sounds rubbish, but hopefully it'll be very good. Uh, and that goes for the rest of the show as well. Um, it's going to be good. It's going to be different. It's going to take you all different ways. And the first person who's going to take you all different ways... Well, that's a nice, that's a nice setup, isn't it? Uh, is, uh, well... It's my very great pleasure to welcome to the stage somebody who is a, an essential part of the stand-up tra tragedy team, but is always behind the scenes. But tonight, it's her, it's her subject. 
So she's going to come and talk to you about it. So put your hands together for Liz Bailey. Hi. I'm not as tall as Dave. Hi, welcome. Uh, I hope some of you are history buffs. If not, hopefully some of you will be by the end of the night. I'm um, a professional historian, which means I'm unemployed a lot. <laughs> right now, I'm doing my PhD, which is a different kind of unemployment, but it's still unemployment. But tonight, we're talking about tragic history. And I'm trying to do a little bit before each of these sets that sort of sets it up in terms of some larger historical themes. So one of the things that we've talked about is how history is written by the winners. So you're lucky enough, you win a war, great, you get to write the history, cheers. But there's a lot of losers in history. And let's have a cheer for all the losers. Yeah. yeah. Hopefully some people in this next set will be telling you stories of some very sad sacks and some very special losers as we go out throughout time. I've got a couple of favorites. Now, I'm going to go as forward in time, well, forward and back a little bit, but in this early bit, I'm going to talk about Greece and Rome. So one of my favorite losers is actually from around the time of Julius Caesar. Actually, he was Julius Caesar's like arch nemesis from the very early days. We're talking about the Gallic War. So Julius Caesar, among many things that made him famous initially, was winning the Gallic Wars. So he goes over to what is now France, and all these guys are there. They're sort of a loose conglomeration of various tribes. And Caesar's like, OK, I'll just run over through all these people, and uh, I'll kill them all, and we'll take over, and we'll be Rome. Go Rome! <laughs> well. There's this one dude, one guy, who brings all the Gallic tribes together, and pardon me for torturing this Latin, is Vercingetorix. So he's a little like Hector, if you know your Iliad. And um, he, he's really good at strategy, but even with all his good strategy, the Roman war machine is something that you can't really compete with. So they, get, they defeat Caesar a number of times, but the casualties are just ridiculous, and they have to retreat to this tiny hill town called Alicia, and this is in September of 52 BC, and uh, they're trapped in this town, which for him, he's a good strategic guy, he can deal with, but he's got various support staff coming, he's got lots of reinforcements coming, it's going to be okay, they're surrounded by the Romans, but they're going to hold out. Well, it turns out none of these people come, so he's managed to get all the Gallic peoples together, except when it looks like he's losing and then no one wants to come. So he's there by himself in the city with Caesar standing outside. And when the reinforcements come, there's like a very minuscule number compared to what they need. Of course they lose. Of course they find weaknesses in. Caesar comes in, he wins. And Caesar, among his many claims to fame, is also a historian. So the greatest account of this, well, according to Caesar, is Commentari di Bello Gallica. So it's Caesar's history of the Gallic Wars. And in this, he's like, and then Caesar rode onto the battlefield, and Caesar was great, and Caesar won everything. <laughs> well, actually, Caesar isn't really the hero of this, but he does win the war. And he does kill the heck out of Aristotorix. Like, the guy gets locked up, and he's killed, and it's sad, and it's over for him. And Caesar's the hero. So that's a loser story, if ever there was one. And it's also a story of... Uh, there's an idiom which apparently a lot of people don't know, which is called a Pyrrhic victory. 
And that's another story of a very sad sack. So what essentially happened to Varus and Torix is a Pyrrhic victory, where he's won these battles, but he's lost the war. And the casualties have been so great that it's almost not worth winning. And this happened to this guy, Pyrrhus, who was a Greek king. And in one of various, in, in a parallel to World War I, there's all these interlinking treaties and alliances that when Rome decides to take over this very small city, uh, he has to come in and help out. But after like battles and battles and two days of hard fought, difficult, up against the Roman war machine, really bitter battle, he wins. But he wins, but at this really great cost. So that's why we call it a Pyrrhic victory. It's a loss, sort of, but you did technically win. So here's to all the losers. And uh, let's give credit to these two poor sad sacks who, you know, they did try. So thanks. And uh, get some more history in you. She's going to be back twice more. A bit like, that sounds, seems a bit like something from uh, The Christmas Carol, doesn't it? She'll be back twice more before the end of the night. Uh, so you can find her on, on, on Twitter, at Veritas Gray. Uh, ve- that's V-R-I-T-A-S-G-R-E-Y. Um, cool. <clears throat> so I'm going to introduce a storyteller now, but normally he does true stories, I've heard him do, but he's going to be doing a fictional story tonight, so I'm excited to hear what that's like. So you can find him on Twitter at Jess Brownrig. So surprisingly enough, his name is Jess Brownrig. Put your hands together for him. Hello. Uh, so yes, uh, this is this is uh, a story. So kind of yes, set yourselves in, folks. Settle in, and uh, this is uh, a story. It's uh, kind of fictional. It's a fairy tale. It's uh, a shaggy dog story about a shaggy dog. Uh, please excuse the iPad. Just ignore it. It's, it's like the bike. It's not really here. Okay. Yeah. Um, so there was a prophecy among the street dogs of Moscow that a runt born to a dying mother would one day come and be their savior and lift up all the animals on the earth. In the freezing nights, stray huskies huddled together for the warmth of each other's breath and fur. An old witch, Kudrakia, would drop a stone into an icy puddle. They would watch the ripples as they rolled into boiling incandescent flames. The smoke would settle into wispy clouds over a coastline. And the ripples the image would dissolve and reform as a husky flying through the air. And they would pray. The night she came, snow swirled around the monstrous tower blocks, blizzards blended cars with tarmac, scribbled over power lines, smudging rooftops with the sky. Her brothers and sisters nibbled at their mother's cold nipples, yapping and lapping for milk that had run dry. Gujarakia took the runt by the nape of the neck, a little fluff of fur, a white stripe from nose to crown and a fuzzy face of brown. 
Two years passed, and Soviet flags fluttered in the breeze, amid colourful banners strung across city streets. School children were running under bunting, chasing each other in the snow, ears pricked at happy cries, the runt licked Kujvakia goodbye, and bounded, off, bounded after the sounds of snowball fights. Up the hill, she raced with the children dragging their sleds. They skidded, skidded behind them as they zoomed back down again. Between the knees, arms hugging her tight, she rode with them, the ground rushing beneath, trees and bushes whipping past them, her long tongue streaming from her mouth, eyes wide, ears flapping, fur rippling with velocity. But alone, after the last child had gone, the runt gazed up at the sickle moon and the city tower blocks stretching up into the sky, their lights merging with the stars. It was the next day the dog pound got her. The day after, the white coats came. They wanted a hardy stray, a little runt for a tiny cage, a mutt no one loved for a special mission into space. They took her to a military facility where dogs, where dogs were trained to survive suborbital test flights. They roared rocket noise into the runts' ears. They strapped her into a vomit comet, that plane that rises and dives, rises and dives. They swung her on centrifuges, her long tongue streaming from her mouth, eyes wide, ears flapping, fur rippling with velocity. All through this, the runt was quiet and charming, said the white coats who did up her harnesses and wrestled with the guilt of their harming. Out, into the winters, out in the winter streets, Kajvakia dropped a stone into a puddle and watched the ripples of one little life as one circle swelled to touch another and another and another until the puddle was a pool of swirling eddies and waves merging with one another. And that's how the dog pound found her, packed her up in a sack and slung her in a van. Cajun kennels with a hundred howling hounds, barking bitches and whimpering puppies. If no children came to collect them, the man with a gun did. But Kujvakia was quiet, for she knew the time was nigh. Shortly before her flight, the runt was taken by a white coat to his house for a night. To be loved, to be held, patted and petted, to be stroked, to gnaw on bones and chase the children through their cramped little home. After that, she was put in a capsule, kissed on the nose and wished upon Voyage. The door was closed. The little cabin shook to wrenching metal and the engines roar. Sonic booms as a rocket soared. The runt growled with the noise, her long tongue streaming from her mouth, eyes wide, ears flapping, fur rippling with velocity. Sliding around the floor, wrenching at her harness, trying to stand, she gave up and lay still. Through a tiny portal, an azure blue sky, 
ignited into a furnace of flames, boiling incandescent flames as a rocket climbed high on a crest of fire. The light faded, the vibration ceased. All was quiet, except for the once breathing, as a capsule drifted through a field of stars. One of the runt's ears floated upwards. Her tail rose and hovered above the floor. Trying to stand once more, she was propelled into the air. Weightless, she so slowly somersaulted in her harness. Her working tail thumped on the capsule roof, sending her spinning in the other, other direction. Soft light filled the capsule. Through the portal, peeped the blue-white curve of the earth. The runt saw shimmering hues of blue, green and brown, shrouded in wispy white clouds that drift over a coastline down below. The earth dropped from view. For a moment, there was only darkness. Then, a new light emerged. Pale and milky white, floating in her cabin, the runt gazed out at the softly glowing galaxy spread out before her in a spectacular spiral stretching into infinity. <laughs> but in a stellar distance lay the sun, its hot rays cooking the capsule as it spun like a spit turning through eternity at the edge of the universe. Back down below, a man stepped towards Kudravakia, opened her door, a barrel at her nose, she sheepishly padded out, tail between her legs, wondering if she had been wrong all along. Another man drags three puppies from a cage nearby. The canine cacophony of barks and howls fell quiet. As the other dogs watched Kravachka and the puppies follow the gunman towards the door. And chiming voices coming closer. Kravachka spun around as scores of children ran into the dog pound, scurrying around the puppies, squealing and shouting as their parents strolled in with copies of Pravda under their arms with pictures of the runt on the front page. The gunman let Kudravakia and her puppies back in the cages. Children stroke her through the bars. She barks and nuzzles their fingers. Suddenly, a stray husky was a must-have mutt of the space age. Up above, in her capsule that had become an oven, the runt hung limply, eyes closed. Outside the window, the stars vanished. A vast blackness was left in their place. The space capsule rounded the curve of the earth, falling back towards home. A red glow enveloped it as it hit the air. Far down, the capsule ignited into a speck of light and vanished like a spark in the night. <coughs> yes, that was, uh, that was uh, about Laika. Uh, who, uh, as you probably know, was the dog that the Russians sent into space in 1957. She's a real hero of mine. 
not only because she was the world's first true spacefarer, the world's first true space traveller, but she was also the first time that the welfare of an animal, the rights of an animal, became international headlines. People really cared for it, and that's the first time that really happened. So, you know, for starting the, the space flight, space flight as we know it, and for animal rights, you know, I salute her. Um, everything in the story um, relating to her training and the mechanics of the flight is pretty much true. They didn't bother giving her a window. Sadly. But, you know, I think, like her, for what she did, I think she deserves myths. I think she de deserves legends. I think she deserves untruths that are truer than the truths. Uh, so, yeah, thank you very much. Okay, so our last act of this first... Our last act of this first act. How, how clumsy was that sentence going to be? Good job, I saved it, hey. Uh, right, our last performer of our first act is a member of the Stand Up Tragedy team. You can find her on Twitter at Charlie Lucy Ha. Uh, she runs her own night called See You Next Thursday, which is a really excellent night that you should check out in Soho. Uh, that's on, uh, on Twitter at Cunth, is it? At Cunth Comedy. I'm just... Yeah, you don't normally get questioned about your Twitter handles when you're just about to come on stage. So, without further delay, welcome to the stage, Charlie Harrison! Good, thanks, Cole. I haven't really got a performance as such. I'm just going to... Because I'm a tour guide, right? Jess, with Jess, we're at the big bus company. Um, so I just thought I'd chat to you about what it's like to be a tour guide, if that's all right. Does that sound okay? Yeah? yeah? Good. Um, so I work for BBC, big bus company. I hate that joke. I say it every morning to the tourists. <laughs> hate it. I hate it. I hate it. Um, but it, it's an interesting job. It's quite a good job. I don't know if you've been to Green Park Tube Station and you see them outside. Sort of, well, we don't have an official office. We just have the pavement is where we, where we live. Uh, and you've got all the drivers and you've got the point controller. And he's normally there going to one of the drivers, something like, uh, don't whine to me, Kev. Go home and take it out on the wife and children instead. That's the sort of uh, thing that he says to people. And then you've got, uh, uh, I come in and they're all there, all the drivers. And they kind of like act differently because I'm a woman. Um, and they try to embarrass each other in front of me. So the other day, one of them said to the other, he goes, do you need any willy Ardners for the weekend, Kev? <laughs> I thought it was quite beautiful as a <laughs> the thing to start the day with. Um, so then you get up, you get up on, the, on the bus and you check the microphone's working and then you start and let's just fucking do it. Let's just uh, pretend we're on a bus now. Okay, so hi, I'm Charlie, your tour guide. Um, I'm going to count to three and you're all going to tell me your name. One, two, three... What a lovely name. Uh, I'm going to count to three, and I'm, you're all going to shout a bit louder than that this time, please, where you're from. One, two, three. Oh, I hear it's lovely this time of year. Brilliant. Now we're coming down Green Park. Green Park on our right. Does anyone know why it's called Green Park? 
Because it's a green park. Very well done, sir. Because it's a green park. And now coming down Whitehall, you'll notice, Jess, particularly, that this tour isn't very uh, geographically (laughs) accurate. Uh, I can just see the speedy one. Coming down the uh, Whitehall now, and of course we've got the Cenotaph on the left. The Cenotaph, of course, remembers the war dead from World War I and World War II, and is where every year where the Queen lays a wreath for Remembrance Sunday. And, of course, some of you may know in 2003 where I lost my virginity. That's a joke. (laughs) I wasn't a virgin. (laughs) But I told him, I told him that I was, you know. So that's why he wanted to do it somewhere really special. (laughs) Coming down the rest of Whitehall now, and you see uh, the statue of Winston Churchill. Now, people say that that statue of Winston Churchill has an electric current running through it. So if any pigeons land on the statue of Winston Churchill... They get a nasty shock. I think that's completely false, isn't it? Yeah, completely false what we say to the tour- tourists. Okay, coming uh, around now, and you'll see the uh, side of the portcullis house there on your right, and that is exactly the point where he first told me he loved me. Um, just over on the left there, just by the river, is where he told me I'd changed. And if you just look straight through the trees, you can just make out the STI clinic, <laughs> where I sat in the waiting room crying because I knew I would never be able to use up that many free condoms. They give you so many. Okay, and Pastor Big Ben here, Big Ben on our our right. Does anyone know why it's called Big Ben? The bell, it's named after the bell. Very well done, Liz. Yes, because the, uh, it's not the tower itself, but why would they call it Big Big Ben, not Big Dave or Big big, um, Peter? You don't know? It's because of the designer of the now uh, Queen Elizabeth Tower. His name was Benjamin. So they named the tower after Benjamin. Um, he did have a brother called Richard. So we're quite glad the bell wasn't named after him. I hate telling that. That's another one I fucking hate. And I hear myself saying it and it's, it's like... It's horrible. It's it's that point of the tour, basically, where I lose the will to live. Exactly then is when I start losing the will to live. We come over Waterloo Bridge. Oh, notice the tide, ladies and gentlemen. The tide of the Thames, you may know, goes up and down 21 feet during one day. You'll notice it's very low at the moment. So if anyone is thinking about jumping, um, not Waterloo Bridge. Don't choose Waterloo Bridge. It could be quite embarrassing. Tower Bridge is where I would recommend for any kind of jumps for that. That's something to look forward to later. Coming past uh, the statue of Samuel Johnson now, of course. When a man is tired of London, he is tired of life. I am so tired of life. <laughs> and now, of course, across finally across Tower Bridge. Uh, not something you do every day, is it, Tower Bridge? Going across the beautiful, spectacular Tower Bridge. Not something you do every day, unless you're me. That's just a little um, insight into tour guiding I thought I'd give you. Thank you very much for listening to me. I've been Charlie Harrison. Okay, so end of part one. We're going to have a 15-minute break now. Uh, get some, have some drinks. Go and uh, look at the uh, fanzines. Consider writing your tragic histories and all of that sort of thing. And uh, we'll see, I'll see you back talking in a kind of awkward way at you in, a, in about 15 minutes' time. So have a good break. We'll have some music now. Shh.
share and spread the tragedy. You can find us on Twitter at Stand Up For Tragedy. You can find us and friend us on Facebook where we're Stand Up Tragedy. The podcasts are available through iTunes, Stitcher Smart Radio and SoundCloud. Time to go. Find them, share them, listen to them. We've got a whole back catalogue of shows up there for free. It's the end of the show. Free audio to listen to in whatever way is most convenient to a part of the tragedy. Help support the tragedy by contributing to our Indiegogo campaign, which again you can find at bit.ly forward slash tragic fringe. It's time to go. Our next show is on the 12th of June and the dog star in Brixton. It's Greek tragedy. It's going to have Andy Zaltzman and a hell of a lot of other Brilliant performance, bringing you some classic tragedy. And for now, the tragedy is... <laughs>